Street talk. A lot of talk happens on the streets. A lot of things happen, especially when you encounter Jesus Christ. And a lot of people encounter Jesus on the streets, on their normal day life. And uh, I have enjoyed this series that we're in and continue to, uh, uh, to be in this series. Luke chapter 8. We're going through the book of Luke all this fall. Last month we were at the table talk, all these encounters with Jesus around tables. Now encounters of Jesus that occur out in the, the cities, out in the streets, out in the countryside. And today we're going to look at an incredible, incredible encounter. I got a confession to make to you. Um, and that is, I am the king of the obvious. And you'll wonder like, what, what are you talking about? King of the Like obvious things. You'll understand when I make this statement. I am pretty good at knowing when something's broken. Get it? King of the obvious, right? Right? Like this summer, I was driving on vacation from Washington, D.C. down to Florida to visit my daughter. I uh, got in my car, drove to the gas station, put fuel in my car, hopped back into it, pushed the start button. Yes, my foot was on the brake, by the way, before you go too far there. Foot on the brake, pushed the start button, didn't start. Pushed the button again, didn't start. My wife looked at me and said, What's wrong? I said, It's broken. You know, it's like, it's up, really? Like, really? It's broken. That's, a, that's all I know. I don't know anything else about it. I just know that it's broken. It's the obvious, right? I knew my mower this year when it was having some issues, when I had to put the fuel in it and prime it, start it up, and it would run for about 30 seconds and then die. Prime it, start it up, run for 30 seconds and die. I knew the obvious. Guess what that is? It's broken. That's right. Actually, I was so, I was so intelligent, I knew it was the carburetor that was broken, but the problem is this. It's so easy to identify things that are broken. The issue is, can we fix them? Right? Isn't that the issue? How many conversations have you had about broken things? How, many, how about when you come home from work? Do you talk about how everything is fixed at work or how everything's broken at work? Broken. When you come home from school, do you talk about how wonderful education was or how broken it was at school and who got in what fight and who's mad at so-so and don't read your social. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a tendency to converse about the broken. Why? Because we're all king and queens of the obvious. We can tell it's broken. We look at our world around us, right? You watch the news. It's broken. Another shooting in Indianapolis. It's broken. Another theft in Plainfield. It's broken. Another someone overdosed. It's broken. It's not too difficult to see. It's broken. And we look at our world for all kinds of answers, right? Hollywood is an answer. Hollywood does try to answer. They, they entertain us, so we kind of forget about the brokenness, right? You can go for an hour or two hours, and you get swept away. And I love it. I love movies. So I'm not, we get swept away by movies. And I love it. I enjoy the stories that they tell me. Sometimes the stories expose brokenness, and sometimes the, it just makes me forget about the brokenness. But yet, it doesn't really solve the brokenness. Science works, Right? Working hard, I love science and technology, all those things. We love those types of things. Our phones, all the gadgets and gizmos, and we're hoping that maybe can science fix this? Can they find something that would cure the common broken heart and soul and mind of humanity? But more than likely, they too will chase and fix some things along the way, which we deeply appreciate. And maybe it's education. Education, man, it can solve everything. We could just educate everybody. I love education. It's very, very important. But education, as we know, will only be limited on itself and cannot fix it. Politics, do I need to say any more? Right? I mean, come on, we've been a country long enough. All the political ads are basically this. Hey, if you put me in charge, I'll fix it. Right? And what's the other party saying? 
If you put me in charge, I'll fix it. What do we know about the truth? Can either one fix it? No. And so it should take us back a little bit. So, so neither one can really fix what is so broken, not only about our, our country and, and lives, but even in the world. It really, really can't be fixed. We, we even look at religion. You say, religion? Tim, you're, you know, you're a preacher, you're a minister. No, 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 I'm talking about religion. We look for certain things that are religious that maybe can fix us and can fix things. And, and Jesus himself talked about religion and its inability because religion is based usually on law, based on what we can do. It's a self-help world of religion that we can find ourselves in. But see, this is the point of today. There's a lot of things that are obvious to us. And even in this text out of Luke 8, there's some things that happen to help us understand our world of brokenness. It's an unusual text. It's a real, really a weird day for the disciples that day to understand what's going on a little bit before we jump into to verse 25 of Luke chapter 8. The disciples, those are the, the, the men who Jesus called to follow him and to learn from him, and they said yes. By this eighth chapter, they have been spending day and night. They've been just hanging out with him and learning and try to figure some of the things out. Because they've been asking the same question, who can fix this? Who can fix the world around me? Who can fix this conflict? And it's this text that we see that Jesus starts his day, and he says, hey guys, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the disciples didn't know. Peter, James, and John, they didn't know. Why do we need to go over there? Because you see, Jesus was about ready to take them into a region that they probably had never been into because it wasn't a Jewish region. It was a Gentile region, an area that they were probably as children told, you never go there. But they didn't know quite where they were going. Jesus said, just get in the boat and I'll tell you where we're going. So while they're on the boat, storm comes. Jesus does what Jesus does, which is he takes a nap. I know it's like, Jesus takes naps, Jesus takes naps. I think that's the coolest thing about Jesus' character. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of cool things about Jesus. But Jesus napping to me gives me like, hey, naps are good. That's all I can say. Jesus gives him a thumbs up because that's what he's doing in the boat. He's sleeping. Storm comes up, waves come up, wind comes up. Disciples are panicking. They're fishermen. They're used to the sea. They are just in a major panic mode about their life right now. They wake Jesus up. Hey, we're going to die. Jesus looks at them and goes like, no, oh, not really. But, I mean, he doesn't say that. He says something else. But anyway, but he just calm. He's calm. And he stands up and he looks at the waves and he looks at the wind. And he looks at everything going on around them and the fear in their eyes. And he simply speaks by the authority of the Son of God as the God himself. And he says, be quiet, storms. Whew. <laughs> I would have loved to have been on that boat and joined the disciples in a new kind of fear of who is this guy? who has authority like this. He has authority over wind and waves. Who is this Jesus? No, no other person who's ever had authority like this. You see, because Jesus is on the way to take them, to show them, to reveal to them that he, his authority is over greater things than, than the wind and the waves. Follow along with me, if you will. Verse 25 it's a long, long text, but follow along with me. It's an incredible day. It says this, in fear and amazement, they ask, referring to the disciples, ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sail to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. 
And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came in out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. The people went out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind, and then they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, and then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man with whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for them. Now that's a day in the life of Jesus. I can't imagine what that moment was like. I can't imagine how overwhelmed the disciples had been just to see this authority and power of Jesus because he changed and transformed a life. Now, the first thing is to understand in this context, the Gerasenes were, were of, not of the Gentile world. They were, of, uh, I mean, they were not of the Jewish world. They were of the Gentiles. Did you notice what kind of farmers were they? Pig farmers. You're not going to find very many pig farmers in Jerusalem. You'll find sheep herders and find, you know, all that, but you're not going to find pig herders. So this is a place that the disciples had never been, and it's in the Gentile world that we see that Jesus enters and, and he reveals in the midst of this really unusual day what I call a common brokenness. As uncommon as this man may be to you and I, he really reveals a commonness that we really share all together. It was an unusual day, a day that they got to experience a demon-possessed man, not something you come across every day. Demons who recognized who Jesus Christ was and submitted themselves to him and to his authority and obeyed him. People who were afraid of him, pigs that flew that day. I don't know if they flew, but they jumped off of cliffs and went into the water. And that's, that's an incredible moment. There's this community that became so afraid of Jesus himself. But this extreme experience, what it does, it reveals what's really going on in our world today. That there are spiritual battles. There is Satan who is at the, the desires to destroy and to kill. That it is the reality of our world. And folks, I know we're modern. And I know that we've gotten our minds and we're smarter than all this. And that really doesn't exist anymore. And I really want to say to us all, really, I, I understand the arguments. But the reality is I see the effects of sin and evil in our world. And it's the reason you turn off the news. We see evil around us. And you know what? If we're honest we see the evil in ourselves, do we not? Do you not catch your own thoughts and think, oh, better not say that. Do you not see the evil in how you want to treat somebody? Do you not see the hard-heartedness at times that we have ourselves? And Jesus is telling us, listen, there's this commonality that we share with this person. There are real spiritual battles in our world over our hearts, over our time, over our finances, over identities. There's 
There's arguments over our, our attention of what we do. And what we would rather do is pretend we're not broken. We want to just pretend that everything's okay. We want to smile and act like it's all right. But down inside, we know that there is a common brokenness that we, we share with this man. Now, I'm not demon-possessed, but I know the effects of sin in my own life. And I know where it can lead and where it can take us and the extreme that it can take us. Because this man, I'm telling you, there's extremes here. Can you imagine his world? Tormented, voices, chained. His community basically chained him up and tried to contain him. But the power of the demons that were inside of him gave him such incredible strength that he was able to break the chains and break the ropes. Running, living naked, living in the tombs. Dead bodies were his best friend. He lived in the smell and decay of human flesh. Every day, there was an anguish of his heart and his mind and his soul that Satan was tormenting and twisting and creating anger and violence and bitterness so far. If there's anything that we could say, there was no worse human condition than the man described here. You couldn't find someone. But this is the interesting point. God found him. God sought him. God pursued him. God pursued the one that no one else could do anything with. We don't know what to do with him. God pursued him with his own heart. And that's what we, when we look at this, we find Jesus is here. Even in the midst of our life, we say, well, I'm glad I'm not him. That's not my world. But really? Because I don't know about you, but I needed to be found. Because I was hiding in isolation. I was hiding my own sin. And it wasn't for, for Jesus himself that I would still be in that same place, lost. Because scriptures tell us all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care how long you've worked with, been with Jesus, we know we have this sin nature. But this is important to us to understand. Romans 6.23 tells us this. The wages of sin is death. Now, we don't like to hear that. Well, wait a minute. If I have sin, that means my punishment for sin is death. And that sounds like, whoa, wait a minute. And we think about this, that the rest of that verse, which is incredible, because it says, but eternal life is given to us through Jesus Christ. In other words, there is hope. But he says this, punishment for sin is this death and sometimes we think it's like it's at the very end of my life that punishment comes there and I want to tell you this when we allow sin to take root in our life now it begins to kill away at our soul when we allow anger to have a place in our heart and we hang on to it it begins to eat away at our soul. When we allow lust to stay in our heart, it begins to eat away at us. When we allow um, the things of this, this world that we, we're just drinking because we just can't deal with life and we keep drinking and we keep drinking, it will take our soul away from us. It will slowly kill us. And that's what happens when we leave sin unattended, when we don't take sin to the only place that we're gonna get to here in a little bit that actually changes its effect. So we share that, and this is what we got to understand. Don't you know, Satan is really out to steal life from us. That's what Jesus tells us. He's out to steal, he's out to kill, he's out to destroy out of John 10.10, 10, but he has come to give us life. But, but the reality is we have this in common. This is the world we live in. This is our reality. And so church, it's time to wake up because Satan is working so many different ways, and one of those is ways is fear. Did you hear it in the text? Fear. Fear here, fear there. So many different people had fear. I mean, we know fear. God knows we have fear in us. You know, I, I'll admit to you, I'm a man who, from a young boy, I remember, I remember just dealing with fear. 
It's, it's a struggle. It's one of my constant battles. And Satan uses it to diminish my confidence, diminish my faith and trust in God. He's used fear to keep me from certain things. He's used fear um, and my lack, to create in me a lack of faith and trust in the character of God. He's used fear in so many ways. And I have battled. I've learned to battle, battle, battle with my God who is found by my side and faithful in the midst of me and allow me to overcome those fears. And I still battle those fears because I know that's the way Satan uses. And I tell you what, I don't think I'm the only one. I'm in a room with thousands. I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with fear. And my guess is a lot of you struggle with fear. And I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. As a matter of fact, a lot of you just got scared as soon as I said that. Your blood pressure went up. You're starting to have sweaty palms. What's he gonna ask me to do? Oh, no. I don't know. I don't know. It's okay. Breathe. This is all I want you to do. Because I think I, I wanna have you visually understand how common fear is. If you struggle with fear, either on your own and your own powers, your own wills, whatever, or you struggle with fear with the authority of Christ in your life, either one of those, if you're in either one of those camps, camps is the wrong word, but anyway, I'm just going to ask you if you would just stand. Right where you're at, just stand. Don't be afraid. Fear is part of your life and your journey. Stand up. Now I just want you to look around. Look behind you for those in the front. Turn around. Are you alone? No. You can have a seat. No. You don't think that's a common tactic of use of fear? The things that are in your life, the fear of the future, high school students, the senior, how many seniors? What's next? Where am I going? Are you talking about fear? But don't you hate the question? What are you doing next? What's your plan? Ah! How many college seniors here? We have college seniors running around here? College seniors. Raise it up. Don't. Yeah. You hate, the same, you hate the same question, don't you? What's next? What job are you going to get? Ah! Shut up. Don't ask me. I don't want to know. We're, fear, we're afraid of what's happening in our homes, parents. Got fears for your kids? <laughs> Where their heart is? What are they chasing? What are they pursuing? Have they fallen in love with Jesus? Did they know that Jesus is the one who brings hope and the one who will actually allow them to sustain them through all the days of their life? Are you afraid of your job? Going to lose it? Add the list, right? And every one of those angles, we can become to realize that we're lost and we're hopeless and we don't have a way out. I want you to know that those are really all Satan's lies. Because what he wants to convince us is we've got to solve it on our own. You've got to fix it on your own. But the reality is Jesus calls us and shows us in this moment that in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the demons' fears, they didn't want to deal with Jesus because they knew Jesus had the authority over them and wanted to drive them out. And in the midst of driving them out, they actually refer to the end of times as go, don't throw us into the abyss. Is the time already come? Is our time up to, to run on this earth and to create the havoc that we want to, have to, to do? And, and Jesus goes, no, it's not the time at this point, but it will happen. They know how this will end. But I want you to know something. Jesus has authority over evil. 
He has authority over Satan. He has authority to drive it out, to push it out, even with inside of our own heart and our own lives that seems to rise up and we have this fear that God is against us. God is not against you. Satan is against you. He's the one who wants to steal. He's the one who wants to destroy something. He wants to raise your elevation of fear. It's God who wants to bring you a peace and a wholeness and a goodness and creating with inside of you the true you that you've been longing to have and, will, and, and, and to be, come out of us. It is the God of grace and mercy that is able to restore us from our own sin nature that we all wrestle with. The people were scared of the presence of Christ because they didn't, I mean, the demons were scared of the presence of Christ because of his power and the result of change that they didn't want. The people became afraid of Christ because of the good things. I know, you know, hey, you made this guy who was really messed up good now. Go away from us. Does that make any sense? That was basically unholy fear. But you see, there is a common cure for our brokenness. You know, an uncommon cure, I should say. And there are a lot of uncommon cures. How many of you had a cold yet this year? few of you? Yeah. You have your remedies, right? Mine's Sudafed and ibuprofen. That's what I go to when it all gets right in here. So I go from that. Well, next time, I've got some things for you uh, to try. You might want to, uh, maybe. I'm not a doctor, so I shouldn't say try them. If you want to try them, it's on your own. But here's the first uncommon cure for the common cold. Eat raw onions. Has anybody ever tried this before? That's good. I have no one all day has raised their hand on that one. They, they, they actually say that it has some properties, the antibiotics, that, that create and, and boost your immune system. So I don't know. I don't know. It may work. I do know this. It may not drive your cold away, but it will drive everybody else away in your family. <laughs> just like eating onions. Second thing is this. Put on wet socks. Right? I, I don't get it either, but that's what they say. Put on wet socks. This is the reason why they put on wet socks, besides just slushing around your house, feeling bad, and leaving watermarks, and your, your parents are now yelling at you or something like that. But this is it. They say when, you're, when your extremities get cold, your feet, you're making your feet get cold when you put on wet socks, and what it does, it increases your heart rate because your heart wants to warm your feet. And when you increase the heart rate, it actually reduces your inflammation because your blood flow is moving. That's what that's why I've read. So I'm, again, I'm not a doctor. Not Third thing is this. This is my favorite. You ready? All of you will love this one. Eat dark chocolate. <laughs> Woo! Right? I think it does nothing for you but make you feel better because, you know, sugar rush. Even when you're sick, you want a sugar rush. I'm telling you right now, the common cold, uncommon cures. Our, uncommon, our common brokenness has an uncommon cure of Christ himself. That moment, that day, the authority of Christ changed a man's life. He restored him back to what was lost. He restored him back to his family. He restored him back to wholeness. It restored him back to his mentality. It restored him to full life. It restored him to a man who was complete again. He restored him, and it only because of the of the power and the presence of God himself in those lives. And that is the truth of our own lives. The only reason I can stand up here and say I have hope is because of the presence of Christ in my life and the salvation that he offers to me and to you and to all of us that find ourselves broken. He's the one who brings me from out of anger, out of the grace and the forgiveness and joy. He's the one who brings us out of our sin into the light. He's the one who restores us like no one else because he and he alone has the authority to do so. That is the power of Jesus that we worship today. That is the power of the one. Paul writes to Philippians chapter two and he says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He and he alone, and it's his name and his power that we need to be using in our life to drive out the evil one. It is the name of Jesus, our Savior, who died in our place, who went to the grave, who was raised again and overcame death, who now speaks and has authority over the sin and the temptation in our own lives. And it is that authority that is able to solve the issues that we struggle with, that our world struggles with. It is Jesus. There's a hymn that you may be familiar with. And it starts out with a question. What can wash my sins away? Do you remember the answer in the hymn? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's just say that together. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it's followed after that with another question. And I want you to wrestle with this question because it's a great question. Who can make me whole again? Think about that. Who can make you whole again? Who can make your marriage whole again? Who can make your heart whole again? Who can make your mind whole again? Who can do that? And the answer that he writes and that I fully agree with is this. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's going to help your marriage? What's going to take you to that next place? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's going to help you love somebody that has wronged you? nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's going to break the addiction that you may have in your life, in your world of alcoholism and pornography? It's going to be the blood of Jesus. What's going to, you see, Jesus Christ's blood is so powerful. It just didn't save us so that one day we can be, be forgiven and everything's out here in the future. No, his power is to restore us now to wholeness. He didn't, he didn't drive those demons out and say, hey man, you're all fixed now. Go back to the grave and just live there until the end of your time. No, no, no. He pulled them out of the grave and he sent them home. And that's what he does with us. He saves us and redeems us and cleans us in order that we may be sent out and that we may tell the world, the community that you live in, people you go to school with, hey, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus has done in my life. He has literally transformed me out of this old self to this death, to this lie. I used to lie all the time. I don't lie anymore. I used to cuss all the time. I don't cuss anymore. This is what Jesus is doing in, in my life. And then you know what? To bring people along with you to see and to know Jesus. Because I'm telling you right now, if we spent more time talking about the one who can heal the brokenness rather than complaining about the brokenness, we may have less brokenness, church. So it's time God's people began to speak of what God is really doing in our lives. Because he's doing an incredible thing of bringing us alive. Let's pray. Father, today we need you. I need you. And I thank you that you have taken us from death to life, from brokenness to health. That, Father, there is an answer and it's Jesus, and that answer will not change for time, for generations. It will not change because there's only one name that saves, only one name that forgives, only one name that has authority to drive out the evil one, and that's Jesus. So, Father, may we proclaim it. May we lift his name up. May our hearts be filled with appreciation and love. May we want to follow you all the days of our life, good day, bad day, because you and you alone are able to save. In Jesus' name.